Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am being joined today by one of our good dog breeder experts. Susan Patterson is with me today, and we are going to talk about the very cool newest offering that Susan's providing through Good Dog, and that is her straight from the whelping box column, but it also now has office hours and you get to ask your question and get it answered directly by Susan or Gail or I or whatever you need to have. So welcome, Susan. We're really excited to have you here today. Thanks, Laura. This is great. We've been having a good time with Straight from the Whelping Box since last year, and we decided to kind of redo it in a way that's responsive, because we know that when people have questions, they would like them answered quickly. So we're setting it up so that if you get your questions in by Monday, you will have answers no matter how many questions I get. So bring it on. By Thursday. Stump Susan. Yeah. We decided this was the Dear Abby of dogs. That's exactly it. Dear Abby, can we make her flustered? Yes. Give me a lot of questions. So I'm pulling 24-hour stints. It's all good. So Susan, tell us a little bit. You have amassed an enormous amount of knowledge and information from your own breeding program, from your own life as a dog breeder, as a breeder of Labrador Retrievers and also working with your Facebook group? Well, you know, I started a long time ago. I'm really old now, I think. So I've got over 40 years in dogs, and I have been breeding Labrador Retrievers almost exclusively, although I started in Golden Retrievers and Irish Setters, and then children, diapers or grooming a dog. You know, it's this trade-off you make. This is where we get into Dear Abby. So I was looking for a sporting dog because that's where my heart is, is in the sporting dogs and Labradors really filled the bill. So I've been fortunate enough to put a number of championships on my dogs and also do field titles, rally novice, etc. And in 2005, my girl Fenwick's Dark Crystal won best of breed at Westminster, which was Probably nobody was more gobsmacked than I was. You know, you're always competitive, but then when it happens to you, you stand there and go, wow. (laughs) So it was pretty cool. And I've been fortunate since then in my Gordon Setters to have some Judges Award of Merit as well as Select Bitch in Westminster as well with Lexi and then again with Meg. So I'm really pleased and I got started helping people. Because I realized that when I started, we really didn't have a whole lot of people that were reaching out and saying, gee, you know, if you got a problem, give me a call. We all had mentors and that was good. But all we had was a phone Mm -hmm. and that was long distance. And so a lot of times we were kind of left sitting in the dark. And so in 2013, I decided to jump into Facebook. What was I thinking? 
but I had come off of a Yahoo group and thought, you know, I'm going to start a group. And I actually started it with another friend of mine. And we said, oh, we're going to have 250 of our best friends. And this Mm -hmm. is going to be great. We're going to share all the things that we wished we had had people share with us. We'll talk about our breeding practices. We'll talk about the things that have worked for us. We can share veterinary suggestions, go here, do this, see someone for hips. And we thought this was just going to be great. That was eight years ago now. And the group has almost 19,000 members. Evidently, I have much more friends than I ever thought. (laughs) But it also includes over 250 veterinarians. The group is worldwide. We run it with five admins all of whom are breeders, two of whom are nurses, one of whom is a breeder and a groomer, which is great. Mm -hmm. Another one does wildlife animal rehabilitation. So when she jumps in there, we get kind of cross-reference things. But the thing that I'm most proud of is that it's science-based. You know, there is anecdotal things because a lot of research hasn't been done in breeding and in neonatal. So we take a lot of it from our human NICU experiences. Mm -hmm. And I'm fortunate I'm still back in school. Again, what was I thinking? And so I have access to all the journals of veterinary science. I have access to the National Institute of Health. I can access all the peer-reviewed science. And what I started doing was going back and looking at the Beagle studies for humans. Because if they're using dogs for humans, then it must be applicable to dogs. So Kind of one of those aha moments, right? But it was good. I think that that's kind of an interesting topic too, Susan. We talk about all the research that is being done in dogs that has benefit to humans. And so this cross-pollination, if you will, from humans to dogs and dogs to humans in terms of what we can learn, I think is fascinating. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the heart abnormalities for small children which translates into TBD for dogs, which is tricuspid valve disease, actually started in a Labrador colony. And that research was done by a number of veterinarians. Hopefully one of these days we will find an answer for some of the heart diseases that we experience in our dogs. But it's fascinating to see going back and forth, the studies and how they can create a colony that has specific traits that, again, relate to dogs, everything from copper toxicity to hearts, to eyes, to other things. So it's really fascinating. But again, getting back to the group, which is great, we have the veterinarians in there, including Dr. Marty Greer. Mm -hmm. We have Emmanuel Fontaine from Royal Canaan. We have a lot of shelter vets. And then we have regular GPs who are there and who actually send their clients to the group because they said, this is the best group and we know they're not going to steer you wrong because they're checking everything. Even things that you wouldn't think about actually have scientific basis, like using cabbage leaves. Cabbage leaves for when you have mastitis. Mm -hmm. And then like you have a dog who's just, well, puppies, milk's not coming in. What are we going to feed her? We're going to feed her oatmeal because oatmeal is a galacagog, which brings in milk along with other things. But, you know, there is science to a lot of what we used to call the old wives tales. Right. Which I always think is fascinating. Like it works, but it works for a reason. Exactly. (laughs) And it's doing the due diligence on that. I actually dug around to figure out why it worked. 
right. because that specific whelping porridge recipe was given to me when I was living in Iceland in 2008 by a friend of mine who was a breeder there and said, this is what we use and it brings in the milk, trust me. Mm. And damn, it does. So right. you, know, you do those things. And so that's what I'm bringing into straight from the whelping box. Right. That's where I was going to go is back into that. I think you've got all this access to all these resources that now we're able to target in the straight from the whelping box, also in the Good Dogs private Facebook group, all of that. And so talk to us about some of the questions. What do you see? What do you hear? What kinds of things are people asking? And let's answer some of them here on the podcast. Sure. Well, I think that the biggest thing we get is something that is kind of taboo to a lot of people, which is how many times should I breed my girl? Oh, interesting. Okay. It gets asked probably at least twice a month. And I think that when we talk about our dog, we have to understand that not all breeds are the same. Mm -hmm. Not all dogs' health is the same. And this is where partnering up with your veterinarian makes a difference. Yes. I have bred a Labrador girl at age eight. She was perfectly healthy. She'd only been bred twice before, worked with my vet. We ran all the blood work. Whereas another dog at age five, blood work might not be so great. She might not be in optimal health, depending on the breed. So we really have to look at each of our bitches as individual dogs. We need to do the blood work. We need to do the assessment with our veterinarian. Because it is truly, we make the choice, the dog doesn't. And so we need to make sure that they are at optimum health. So there is no right answer for everybody, but there is a right answer for your dog based on the health of the dog and collaboration with your veterinarian. So that's always an interesting question to answer. That's a good one. Another one is testing. There's a lot of genetic tests out there, some of which are applicable, some of which are not. I'm going to kind of go out on a limb and say a lot of times we toss the baby out with the bathwater. A lot of the tests, I do understand we can find out a lot of information, but people are so afraid of breeding to a dog who's a carrier that we end up breeding to only clears rather than keeping the carrier in the gene pool with unintended consequences, because there were other things carried on those genes besides the problem, for example, in Labrador's exercise-induced collapse. Mm -hmm. I bred to an affected dog, and everybody looked at me like, she has lost her marbles. But I had a clear girl. I knew everybody was going to be a carrier, and I got what I wanted. As a matter of fact, hopefully this weekend, she'll be my first champion master hunter. So it's just, you know, you can't toss the baby out with the bathwater. You need to use the science as a tool. Yes. And that's what I was just going to say. I just was talking to somebody else about this not too long ago. And the idea that health testing is to help us make informed choices right. and expand the gene pool based on the information rather than limit the gene pool based on the information. It is. And breeding is as much an art as it is a science. Mm -hmm. So some of the decisions you make on the outside don't look really thoughtful, but on the mm -hmm. inside, they are thoughtful, especially if you're prepared to keep the litter and you're doing something. For example, you have a dog who, in my case, I will tell you, has been out in the field and comes back and is off on an elbow, even though it had clear elbows you x-ray again, and now you've got an elbow that's off. 
do you breed that dog? And I will make the decision to breed the dog based on what I'm breeding in the background. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of pedigree research that I think, and this makes me sound really old, a lot of the new breeders, (laughs) a lot of people don't understand the value of pedigree research. Yeah, pedigrees are so important. And it's more than a list of names. I think that that's one of the things I counsel people when I'm mentoring is it's great that you have that list of names. Now, have you seen that dog? Do you know anyone that's seen that dog? Can you call up the person who has seen that dog and had their hands on it and been around it? Have you pulled up all of its health testing on OFA? Have you done the due diligence that is involved in an actual pedigree that doesn't just include a list of names on a piece of paper? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been really fortunate in the years I've been breeding because of my career. I traveled a lot. So I have been around the world and seen different dogs in different places and put my hands on them. I've done judging for sweeps and for other breeds as well. And you learn so much. I have done my best to make it a practice. There's only one time where I didn't know the dog that I bred to. Other than Mm. that, I have done my best to put my hands on the dog because it's what you see. And it's also what you see. And I'm going to use that as temperament. Temperament Mm -hmm. passes on just like hair color, just like gait, just Mm -hmm. like genetics. Temperament matters. And I think that as breeders, we need to be super conscious of breeding for temperament as well as for structure. Because if I have a bad elbow, I can operate. But last time I checked, Puppy Prozac didn't really cure the temperament problem (laughs) down the line. So. Right. And again, I think what we all are striving for, no matter what dogs we're breeding, we are all breeding for dogs who will be companions. They might be share dogs. They might be service dogs. They might be detection dogs. They might be almost anything, but all of them are going to live in someone's home. Yeah. And that temperament that allows them to do that has, at least in my breeding program, has got to be the number one priority. Yeah. And I think that that hit me many years ago when I realized, yes, I'm breeding for myself because I will be keeping from this litter. But when I breed for myself, there's always spares and the spares go to families. And therefore, technically I'm breeding more for the families than I am for myself. So what do I need and what do they need? And I will tell you that, you know, temperament matters. And that was one of those aha moments early Mm. in the breeding thing. But getting back to some of the questions people ask, it's really interesting to work with someone when they're whelping a litter. And that's been fun. That's why I have loved the Facebook group because it's real time. I can't Mm -hmm. tell you the number of times I have sat on my computer with someone who's having a problem whelping. And it's like, okay, there's no one there for you. And I want you to walk your girl, show me a picture. I want you to feather her. I want you to put all the puppies, you know, we know we've got two left, Mm -hmm. put all the rest of the puppies on. Let's use the natural oxytocin to bring on contractions and, you know, contractions shut down. So you go, what are we going to do now? And it's like, usually a bitch will have contractions that shut down if there's a problem, stuck puppy, malpositioned. And so we get out our box of tricks and there's a wonderful maneuver called the woods maneuver where you lay the dog on their back and you bring their back legs forwards to the head, slightly widened between the ears. And 
trust me, in a large breed dog, when I'm doing this, I feel like a gymnast. You know, I'm doing yoga with the dog. But it does reposition the puppy, and nine times out of ten, that puppy will reposition and be born right away. So we're using a lot of tricks of the trade, but things I didn't know years ago that I have learned, and this is where I think a mentor really matters. And so by doing straight from the whelping box, we're trying to build that community of mentoring. Yes. So you're not afraid to ask the hard question. It's like my pregnant dog got into X. What do I do? Whether it's a box of chocolates or it's a box of Wheaties, how do you ask the hard questions? And this platform is working to create that sense of community where right. you can come in and you're not going to be disrespected. Nobody's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Accidental pregnancies. Okay. You're not a real breeder until you have an oh no breeding. Oopses happen. They do. You know, it's hubby didn't realize that Delilah was in season, but Billy sure did. <laughs> yes. Can we talk about the German wire-haired pointer and the unindicted felon who happens to be a wire-coated Ibethan hound. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my world. Yeah. And I think, Susan, one of the things that comes to me when we're talking about mentorship that is so important, and one of the things that I think straight from the whelping box and the office hours and the Facebook group in this particular instance are able to offer is not just mentorship, but good mentorship. Yeah. Lots of people have opinions. Absolutely. Everybody's got a belly button. Some opinions are more informed than others. How's that? That's a very nice way of putting it. And I think that that's so important. And I'm also not afraid to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Let me look this up. Let me go do the research. Let me reach out. So there's a lot of times, and I'll just Gail Watkins, who is another breeder expert with Good Dog, she and I have been friends for a long time. And I have no problem saying, oh, I haven't seen this. Have you? And I know specifically, and I'll just use cancer as a situation, although it's not a breeding thing, right. that she experiences with Goldens. And so when someone asks me a question about that, I've got a line that has had cancer. And do you think I should breed? Do you think I should not? I'm going to go to another breed expert. And because I've been breeding for so long and been in the business, so to speak, I know people whose opinions are informed to go to and say, what do you think about this? And can we kind of throw some stuff against the wall? And I think that matters. And the interesting thing with breeding, every litter I have is almost just like the first. There's the sense of, oh, oh, guess we're having puppies. (laughs) Then you get your, I'm in the zone hat on. But I never take it for granted that it's going to be perfect. I'm always prepared for the worst. Yes. I have a toolbox that my husband just rolls his eyes at. He's like, do you really need all this stuff? And I'm like, it was kind of like going to a third world country where I want to be prepared. (laughs) And I want to never use it ever. But yeah. By having it, I not only am prepared for myself, but I lend it to other people. Or I'll give whatever I have that I can if someone needs it. And I think that's what makes a breeder community so important is that we know who to go to. 
and it was you, I think, might have been in on it, and I know Gail was. There was a litter of golden retrievers last month that was born in my neck of the woods. Right. Unfortunately, mom was lost due to a blood clot. There were nine puppies and reached out to people in the community. I mean, we're talking the whole Northeast and within two hours, we had a surrogate for these puppies. Mm -hmm. And it's things like that that Straight from the Whelping Box can do because once you have a community that you can reach out to, when you have a problem, you have a bitch who develops metritis, which is like pyometra, only it's after whelping, not before whelping, right. but it is a uterine infection. And a lot of times you will have to pull those puppies off. And I'll tell you that hand feeding a litter of 15 is just as much fun as you want to have. <laughs> I've done it. Yeah. Most breeders who've been breeding a while have, but the ability to reach out and say, is there a bitch who is a good mother who would be willing to step in until we can get them on food? And then I can bring in an aunt or another surrogate. But having that sense of community where you can reach out is huge. And I think that the straight from the whelping box and the community that we're building here at Good Dog is enormous. And the community piece is enormous. So here's another question. I know I just happened to run across it in one of our Facebook groups before we were coming on this morning. People were talking about asking, when does the bitch come back in season after her litter? And great opportunity to answer super important question. Oh, okay. So you notice they're called bitches. And I will tell you that each of my girls comes in differently. I have some who will come in four months after the puppies are born, which will make it six months after the litter. Right. And I have some who don't come in for an entire year. So it is individual. I would be prepared for them to come in at four months after the litter is born, but it would not surprise me if they don't come in for a longer period of time. Some girls are like clockwork. My answer was, I've got eight generations straight from my foundation bitch, direct line. And every single one of them has been different <laughs> from six months to the minute to nine months, seven months, 10 months, you know, whenever I feel like it. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost kind of dormitory effect too, where if you have a couple of bitches who cycle together and because she had puppies, she didn't cycle with her bestie, she's going to wait for her bestie to come in again. Mm-hmm. Or her bestie's just getting ready to come in. And so she comes in much sooner. So it's something where their clockwork doesn't necessarily apply. But once a bitch establishes a cycle schedule, I think that's one of the tools that I use kind of subconsciously to kind of watch if I know that Lady or Meg or Amelia comes in right on this time and I've got it on my calendar and she misses, then I'm looking. What's going on? What's the problem? And that's another really important point because having experienced this also, a bitch may very well be on a regular cycle right up until you send her somewhere to be bred. Exactly. Oopsie. Yeah. If you send too early and she stalls and stops and says, no, maybe not this time. Or you send her a couple of weeks or a month ahead to get yeah. settled in. And then she says, oh, no, I don't need to do that for four more months. Yeah. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. Or you get them that 
everybody's interested and she starts rising. And I, of course, strongly advocate progesterone use over yep. anything else. Although there are other tools we can use when we do breed that will give us good information because information is the king. So everybody's interested and she got all the way up to two and then she just stayed there. It's like, oh, looks like it's going to be a split heat. So now we watch. Now we wait. You know, so it's, there's a lot of lack of consistency and they pick up on stress too. So that's my point. Stress will, and I have personally lived it both in a bitch that came here to be bred and a bitch that I sent somewhere else to be bred. And interestingly enough, they were mother and daughter. (laughs) It's interesting. And in both instances, they arrived, you know, a few weeks ahead of when they should come in season, when they were due to come in season. And let's see, one was almost a year. The other one was about four months. So, yeah. Well, there's another interesting thing, and it came as a question. Couldn't figure out what was going on with the dog wasn't coming into season, wasn't doing this, wasn't doing that. And finally, after a bunch of questions, it turned out that the woman of the house was on estrogen therapy. So yeah, things you don't think about. So your breeding dogs are impacted by their environment and their environment includes us. So Mm -hmm. if we're on a hormone replacement therapy, whether it's for cancer, whether it's for anything else, we need to understand that the dogs will absorb this from our skin. Mm -hmm. So you have a whole different thing to look at. So there's a lot of things when you're troubleshooting a, I can't get my girl pregnant. What do I do? And, you know, you start with the basics, but once you've covered those bases, Sometimes you got to look for that unicorn. And this was one of the cases. Yeah. Just because it sounds like a horse doesn't mean it's a horse. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's a unicorn. Yeah, most often it is a horse. And so when we're breeding, you know, we do the typical things where we make sure that we're running progesterone, that we've done the blood works, and then we are doing any vaginal cytology, if that's it, or a guarded vaginal swab to check for culture, because what if we missed last time and we're not sure why? We want to make sure that she doesn't have any overgrowth of bacteria because we don't want to use antibiotics unless they're called for. And we want to use them appropriately. Targeted. To be targeted, exactly. We don't just throw Doxy or Batril or whatever the favored drug is of the day at the dog. You want to do it targeted responsibly because you are looking to fix something. Because when you throw something at them, that they don't need, you are, again, causing something unintentional to happen. And you may very well end up with antibiotic resistance. And that's the last thing you need. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, Susan, thank you so very, very much. I always appreciate your time and your knowledge and your expertise. You're welcome. And I know that our good dog members absolutely appreciate your straight from the whelping box column. And if you guys check it out. There will be on the website a link for you to go send your question if you are registered as a good dog breeder. And we're looking forward to hearing from everybody. Thanks, Laura, for your time. It was great. Absolutely. Remember, everybody, stump Susan. That's our goal. (laughs) (laughs) Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, 
helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com slash join. That is G-O-O-D-D-O-G dot com slash join. Or click the link in the show notes.